Another thing we're very positive on and we think is hugely important is collaborative engagement across the high yield market. If you think about you know, the things we've discussed already as part of this discussion, you, you will have you know, noticed that you know, I think everyone in high yield will be suffering from a similar lack of data. And you know, going forward, we're going to see a huge amount of demand from, you know, from ourselves, from our investors, uh, from incoming regulation on a global basis around the provision of that data. Um, and what we often hear from our companies that we invest in is, you know, they want to start providing this data, but they are somewhat unclear at this point on what they need to do or what data they need to provide. Um, and they have limited bandwidths in some cases at management level to actually produce all this data. So what we've been doing um, is, to give you an example, is um, we're, we're part of the European Leverage Finance Association's ESG committee. Um, so what we're doing is basically as part of that initiative, uh, interacting with uh, the companies through roundtables um, and the arranging banks, uh, the financial sponsors, um, to basically put in place frameworks um, and fact sheets around what we feel the sub-investment grade market would like to see in terms of base levels of exposure from the companies they invest in in different sectors on key ESG topics. So that, you know, that's an example of, you know, something we've been heavily involved in and, you know, is really a great starting point to help companies in the high yield market to begin to disclose data where they, they haven't done historically. That was Gareth Hall, High Yield Portfolio Manager at Bearings. And this is Streaming Income, a podcast from Bearings. I'm your host, Greg Campion, and I'd like to welcome you to episode number nine of season four of Streaming Income. All season long, we are diving deep into the factors shaping today's markets across asset classes like EM debt, high yield, private credit, real estate, and more. Remember, if you'd like to receive our latest insights as soon as they become available, you can follow us by searching Streaming Income on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. My guest today is Gareth Hall, a London-based portfolio manager on Bearing's global high-yield team. Gareth has taken on a lead role in the implementation of all things ESG when it comes to high-yield at Bearing's. And as we discussed in the conversation, he's also heavily involved in a number of industry collaborations in this area, including with groups like the European Leveraged Finance Association's ESG Committee and also the London-based Loan Market Association. So in the conversation, we spoke about the ESG challenges that high-yield managers like Bearings are trying to tackle today. Specifically, we discussed the evolving role that fixed income investors can play when it comes to influencing company behavior and how it's no longer just an equity investor's game in terms of driving such initiatives. We talked about the major challenge that is carbon emissions and how Gareth and team are not only calculating estimates for companies that don't report their emissions, but also engaging with those that they deem to be some of the worst offenders. And finally, we spoke about the broader challenge of data availability and some of the ways that the team is getting around this and how industry collaborations are playing a role. So with that, please enjoy this conversation with Gareth Hall. All right, Gareth Hall, uh, welcome to Streaming Income. Thanks for joining me. 
A pleasure, and uh, thank you for having me on the show. Great to be here. Awesome. I'm, I'm excited to have you here. Um, first time on the show. We've got a lot to talk about. I know you've been very busy uh, with all that different hats that you wear at Bearings uh, on the high yield side and, and also involved in ESG, of course. So maybe let's start there. Uh, if you wouldn't mind just uh, describing your role uh, at Bearings uh, for us. Sure. So I, I joined Bearings back in, in 2010 as a credit analyst. And then uh, my role is now a portfolio manager in the global high yield team. Um, and as part of that role, over the last few years, I've been heavily involved as um, as our ESG lead in the team, uh, helping to develop um, our fixed income investment processes and ESG strategy. So uh, as you say, uh, a very busy time in the world of ESG at the moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think we have the right person for the conversation that we are hoping to have, which is specific to ESG uh, in high yield. Uh, but I may, I may actually want to start kind of one level up from high yield and just talk about fixed income generally. And I know that there's, of course, long been this perception, probably this correct perception that fixed income markets have lagged uh, other markets, specifically public equities, in terms of their implementation of uh, ESG. Now, clearly that's changed. And I think, you know, every time I talk with you or someone on your team, I'm uh, I'm almost astounded to see the progress that's been made. Um, and it's not just a bearings thing, but it's I think it's probably market-wide. But I guess maybe high level, from your perspective, given, given everything that you've seen over the years, was there a step change moment in fixed income markets when they finally woke up to ESG? I think you're exactly right. I think the you know there has been a a misconception that you know fixed income can do less on the on the ESG front, and I personally think that's that's incorrect, as you uh, seem to to point out. Um, I don't think there was a you know a particular step change moment, but I think it's fair to say over the last three to five years we've seen. You know, huge acceleration in 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 take up and analysis within within the fixed income market, which you know everyone will have seen across this asset class. Yeah, and it's it's really been incredible just to observe the momentum um, in this space. So let's zoom into high yield, which is of course your area of expertise. Um, for our listeners, if you haven't seen it yet, Gareth recently penned a piece called ESG three challenges high yield managers are tackling today. And I really like the framework kind of laid out in that piece. And I'd actually like to use that as as kind of to help us frame up our discussion uh, here today. Um, So let's go through some of those uh, challenges that you uh, laid out in the the paper. And maybe let's start with the first one. So um, you talked about one of the challenges being influencing ESG practices, as you've just sort of alluded to, and how that's different for uh, debt holders versus equity holders. So tell me a little bit, you know, from the perspective of a high yield manager um, about why that is a challenge and then maybe what you're doing about it. Sure. So I think, you know, I guess by by way of background, people, you know, feel that often in high yield, because because we don't own voting shares, and we don't have typically members on the board um, to help control strategy. That you know, therefore, it, it's more difficult for you know high yield to to engage and to undertake ESG analysis with their companies they invest in. Um, I think 
you know that that perception as we pointed out earlier has has changed now and i think if you think about why you know we feel we can engage and we can work on on ESG analysis with with the companies we invest in um there's a number of you know strong reasons why we can and we should um so if you think about a typical company we invest in you know obviously they will have quite a large part of their cap structure will be made up of debt and as bearings you know we're often you know materially sized lenders in that capital structure um that in itself gives us you know excellent access to uh, company senior management to the the financial sponsors who own many of the companies in the high yield market so it really allows us to engage with those management teams and owners but also to undertake you know a lot more detailed diligence on key commercial sustainability risks um, with those companies as part of the primary investment process or the ongoing monitoring process for those companies. Um, so we feel on the back of that there is you know a genuine ability for us to to influence behavior at those companies and also to you know request particular data. You know that being said and I'm sure we'll go on to talk about it, but obviously the level of data availability for companies within the high yield market remains remains poorer than you will see in investment grade or in 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 listed equities for example by you know nature of the reporting requirements and the and also the size of the type of ownership of those companies yeah i mean that, is, that that's interesting that you know i think as you've kind of alluded to the the size uh, of your position uh, in the capital structure um, can be very material so i imagine um, that has an impact on your level of influence with with companies. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, this kind of idea of engagement, uh, and and maybe relative to another strategy, which is exclusion. Um, and, and then you know, I, I'm interested in kind of hearing about how this actually plays out in the real world. So if you have an example or two handy, that would be great to hear. Sure. So so from a you know, engagement versus exclusion debate. You know, I think there are times, certainly, in, during our investment process, when we will exclude a specific company from our buy list, which effectively means we're, you know, unable to invest in that company because we we view the ESG risks as too material. Um, so that's certainly an important part of you know our our underwriting process um, that we undertake. But you know, once once a company is approved onto our buy list, I think it's critical that, you know, you engage to improve those companies and we look at, you know, one, the current state of those companies in terms of how they how they sit today, but also the momentum and and the change at those companies um, that we're seeing, whether that's, you know, driven by our engagement or, you know, the company's strategy. So that's as you as you mentioned, you know, a very important part of our philosophy at Bearings is around engagement as opposed to um, to just exclusion. Um, in terms of you know the way we're set up, um, in terms of our team, um, we have a large number of analysts um, sat, sat in, in Europe and in the US. So we have the ability and the time to undertake our detailed analysis on each of the companies, and also that really feeds into our engagement strategy as well. In that the analyst teams have have the time and the connections with those companies and owners to be able to to talk to talk to the management teams on on key topics and we mentioned 
you know, being a large lenders in the cap structure as well, which generally gives us very good access to those companies. Um, and to give you an example of of something we saw this week, actually, which is is very timely. So um, we have an investment in in a, a soft drinks bottling company, um, which is global in nature, very large large business. Um, from a ESG analysis perspective, we've had a poor internal ESG rating on that company for for a number of quarters, um, given the risks we associate with the high level of single-use packaging and also unhealthy product mix there. Um, so that's been one of the companies that we've, as a team, have been engaging on. Um, so through discussions with CFO and CEO at those companies to to really push them on improvements in those key ESG risk areas. Um, what we actually saw this week uh, through the company's reporting, um, so they released results, is that they've now got specific new initiatives around um, development of PEF recycled packaging and also doing a lot of work on, on the sustainability of their uh, raw materials sourcing uh, relationships um, down the supply cycle. So that that really has you know, come around over the last couple of quarters and is now a key part of what they're talking about on their on their through their presentations and through their reporting. Um, which is, you know, for us very rewarding because, you know, it's something we've been pushing them to do more. Um, you know, obviously others in the market will have been doing doing similar things as well. So, you know, those types of examples where we're genuinely starting to see, you know, tangible evidence of um improved behavior at the companies around some of these topics, um, you know, in, in environmental, social, or, or governance areas. Um, obviously, we have, you know, many more engagements which are a work in progress or, you know, have been unsuccessful. But, you know, definitely a mix in terms of um, success on that front. Yeah, that is uh, really interesting for me to hear about because I think that there's this typical idea that it's, you know, in terms of influencing company behaviors. That's very much more an equity story than it is a debt story. But again, I guess to the point where if you're a significant enough part of the capital structure on the debt side, uh, it seems like uh, you know there are increasingly real-world examples of being able to influence a company's uh, behavior. So that's uh, encouraging uh, to hear. Um, you know, Gareth, I just want to talk to you about uh, the second challenge here, which you laid out in the paper, and that is... Um, carbon emissions. And, and this is obviously such a major focus for investors as they look to mitigate the impact uh, on the environment from their investments. So again, I'm hoping you can explain just a little bit about, you know, why this is a challenge, uh, you know, again, specifically for high yield managers, and then also tell us what you and the team are doing today to try to tackle this challenge. Sure. And I think as you, as you pointed out, you know, a huge area of of interest and we're receiving you know a lot of positive feedback and a lot of interaction with our investor base on on this topic and certainly you know something we're working very heavily in internally to to develop in terms of you know with our quantitative teams around around how we improve the processes and analytics around carbon having made the you know what i feel is a, a good a good start so far um so just to give you a good bit of background on, I guess, the, the difficulties uh, with analysing carbon in, in the high yield space. Um, the the reality is that um, 
if you're looking at a higher bonds universe or a leveraged loan universe uh, within the sub-investment grade space, um, you will be lacking data. So, you know, a lot of companies, um, given their private ownership or uh, the nature of the businesses, um, don't yet report, you know, good quality emissions data and have associated emissions targets. Um, so that and I, I imagine that's pretty different from public market equities, for instance. Exactly, very different to to you know large cap equities where you have near, you know, near universal coverage. Um, to give you you know data point, you know if we if we look at a, a European leveraged loan um, portfolio, often we're thinking about twenty percent of those companies will have actual data on on emissions so so somewhat challenged from as a starting point and that will definitely improve over time and you know will there's various reasons why that will improve uh, but engagement you know re- incoming regulation and just general movement into the market in that in that direction um, but ultimately that you know that leaves us somewhat challenged in analyzing overall emissions analysis or intensity for 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 individual portfolios so what you know, as you pointed out, what have we tried to do to address that? Um, so what we've we've developed internally is um, is a reporting process whereby where actual data is available, um, we'll take that data from the companies. Um, we aim to supplement that data with direct engagement for disclosure with the companies to try and um, get some additional data. Um, but where the data is unavailable, what we're looking at is uh, a methodology whereby we estimate what the carbon emissions of that company could be based on uh, similar companies in sectors and and geographies. So that that's not, you know, not a bulletproof way of doing this analysis by any means. Um, but what that allows us to do then is to to take all that data and to aggregate it on a portfolio level into into portfolio reporting, and then it allows us to do two things. We use it to to engage, as in to focus our engagement strategy. So we look at companies where we feel they will have a high level of emissions, but they don't disclose actual data, um, and they're companies where we're focusing our engagement because they're the companies we feel is most important that report that data. And then secondly, you know, we on a portfolio level basis, we can consider um, which companies we own in the portfolios, um, which have high high carbon emissions or high estimated carbon emissions. And then we can think about, you know, how we weight those positions relative to, you know, relative value for the whole for the whole portfolio to to start thinking really about building in that analysis into portfolio positioning. Yeah, that's really fascinating. You know, it seems like you and, and and the team have been really creative in this regard because that is, as you were talking about up front, that's a huge gap to to make up with eighty percent uh, or thereabouts. You know, you don't have data for. So it's interesting to me to hear about how you're triangulating into an estimate of what those emissions uh, could be. Uh, one question I have for you on that is, you mentioned that this is kind of informing your engagement strategy is the right way to think about it that uh, you've got essentially uh, you know it would be impossible to engage with every single company just from a pure time and resource standpoint and you need to decide where to allocate those resources um, where they will be most impactful and I'm guessing there's 
probably like everywhere else in the world, an 80-20 rule where you've got probably 20% of your companies in your universe or in your portfolio are responsible for 80% of the the issue. I mean, is that broadly or directionally how you're thinking about it? Yeah, I think directionally that's that's correct. Um, So if we think about you know, the, the high yield universe on a on a global basis. There'll be many, many companies in our universe that don't report a huge amount of ESG data, whether that's carbon related or social uh, criteria, governance um, data points. What we prefer to do is to focus our engagement, you know, specifically on where we feel, you know, it's most important for us to have an influence or, you know, obviously where we feel it's important to get that data. So, you know, as you point out, you know, things things like high carbon companies in high carbon industries that don't report that data, you know, they're key companies that we should be engaging with um, to try and get hold of some information on strategy and, and to ultimately undertake our risk analysis on those companies in a proper way. So that's really an example of where we're focusing our, our engagement activity. Um, and that similar parallels across across social across governance you know where where we feel there's a bigger risk or a you know more important area to focus on you know that's what we're trying to do and and is best use of our uh, analysts teams time as opposed to just sending out generic data requests on every single data point that we'd like to have for for ESG analysis across the whole market which would be very time consuming but also you know somewhat less less successful i would uh, i would imagine yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense um the third challenge i guess we've already talked about to some degree and it probably permeates uh a lot of this and that's the idea of data limitations um now i know that uh strides have been made with third party providers and they're getting more sophisticated i'm sure by the day in terms of what they're able to provide and uh, you know how many companies they cover and and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I I would you know it would be great to hear from your perspective. You know being in the weeds on this day in and day out. What how would you kind of assess the current state of play with regards to uh, data uh, in this space? And, and maybe what in, again what are you and the team kind of doing to 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 tackle this challenge of data limitations? Sure. So. Um, it is a it is a challenge as as you mentioned, um, and we you know, just to give you a, a kind of bit of color on where we are at the moment. So we, you know, we have access to third party analysis sources, um, and we certainly incorporate those into our analysis in terms of looking at the points that are flagged and highlighted by those those types of reports. Um, I think within Hyatt in particular, it remains very critical to undertake our own commercial analysis um you know we still feel that access to companies from third parties is still somewhat you know limited or restricted whereas you know as a large analyst team we have the ability to actually undertake you know commercial analysis on on the companies we're looking at and speak to to senior members of of the organization so that for us is is very helpful um despite the lower level of data availability um, so I think, you know, in-house diligence is is critical in in this asset class. Um, 
Another thing we're very positive on and we think is hugely important is collaborative engagement across the high yield market. If you think about you know the things we've discussed already as part of this discussion, you, you will have you know noticed that you know, I think everyone in high yield will be suffering from a similar lack of data. And you know, going forward, we're going to see a huge amount of demand from you know from ourselves, from our investors, uh, from incoming regulation on a global basis around the provision of that data. Um, and what we often hear from our companies that we invest in is, you know, they want to start providing this data, but they are somewhat unclear at this point on what they need to do or what data they need to provide. Um, and they have limited bandwidths in some cases at management level to actually produce all this data. So what we've been doing um, is to give you an example is um, we're, we're part of the European Leverage Finance Association's ESG committee. Um, so what we're doing is basically as part of our initiative, uh, interacting with uh, the companies through roundtables um, and the arranging banks, uh, the financial sponsors, um, to basically put in place frameworks um, and fact sheets around what we feel the sub-investment grade market would like to see in terms of base levels of exposure from the companies they invest in in different sectors on key ESG topics. So that you know that's an example of you know something we've been heavily involved in, and you know is really a great starting point to help companies in the high yield market to begin to disclose data where they, they haven't done historically. So I think those kind of initiatives are critical um, alongside, you know, the in-house due diligence and production of ESG ratings and um, and carbon analytics and various other tools we have uh, at our disposal as we, as we touched on before. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that idea of doing the in-house due diligence, I mean, that's very consistent with uh, you know Bearing's approach, just generally speaking, in terms of having very well resourced teams uh, to 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 do the underlying credit analysis, and, and it's almost like this is um, uh, an integrated piece uh, of that. Um, now, on the collaboration side, that's really interesting to hear. And you know, you think about asset management uh, being a hyper competitive industry, of course. Um, but it feels almost like, and I don't want to be too Pollyanna-ish here, but it, it feels almost as if there's like there's kind of a partnership across the industry on ESG specifically. And you mentioned some of these initiatives that you and the team are involved with in, in, in terms of some of these industry collaborations. But is that your sense? I mean, do you feel like there's actually a real partnership uh, across the industry in this space? Yeah, no, I do, I do generally think that's, that's correct. Um, you know, I think, you know, ultimately, I think it's in everyone's best interest in the market to have you know, better data on, on ESG topics because... You know, ultimately, that allows everyone to do their analysis and their own take their own views on on the risks associated with those uh, sustainability points. Um, so that you know benefits everyone from that perspective, and then also feeding into the wider views on on climate change and various other topics. You know, I think we'd all agree that you know it's important that everyone's working together to move the markets forward and ultimately, you know, the world forward on on these topics because that's um, you know, in everyone's interest as well. So so certainly, you know, on my my interaction on on these types of committees, you know, I think everyone is pulling in the same direction um in terms of um improving the market in terms of data availability for for ESG analysis. 
Yeah, that's great to hear. Um, well, we've covered a lot of ground in a short amount of time here. I did want to ask you one final question, and that is, uh, you know, given your um, seat that's kind of in the center of all things ESG, high yield, I guess even broader fixed income, et cetera, um, what do you think's next? So, you know, the, we already talked about how the industry has made so many strides, even in just the last couple of years. It's it's uh, it's almost difficult to keep up with, to be honest. But where do you think we go from here? If you look out um, over the next couple of years, even the next decade, I know it's impossible to predict. But but what what do you think? You know, what big things are coming down the pipe here for ESG? Sure, and I think I think it's going to be hugely busy, and there's going to be lots of you know market developments um, in a very short short period. I mean, if you think about you know a few of the things we're thinking about you know, this year and at the moment. Um, so we have, you know, a number of incoming global regulations um, that we will have to deal with as bearings, as a global high yield team, you know, around producing uh, data for, for our clients and reporting. So that's a kind of huge project area, which we're working very hard on. Um, and also in terms of market developments, you know, we're seeing a lot of very quick changes on on the ESG front as well. So, you know, if we look at the leveraged loan market, for example, you know, now we're seeing a lot of um, what's what's known as sustainability margin ratchets. So basically, that's where the margin on a loan moves up and down based on achievability of sustainability targets at companies. So that's a, a relatively new phenomenon, but is actually in the majority of new issuance now in the leveraged loan market. Um, so that's you know, very interesting developments, and we're obviously also involved in in various committees across the market to you know to feed into our views around how those how that develops uh, in terms of of trends. And similarly, we're starting to see now in high yield a lot more sustainability linked bond issuance or green bond issuance. So, you know, huge amounts of um, movement in terms of you know the market and what we're what we're seeing. And, you know, I think the, the great thing is, you know, at Barron's across our teams is that, you know, everyone's been becoming, you know, a lot more engaged on on these topics and looking at these risks um, for the companies we invest in. So, you know, definitely becoming more and more part of our, you know, our culture in terms of how we how we invest. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's palpable. I can feel it every day. Um, well, uh it seems that there's going to be no shortage of topics to uh, talk about in the space uh, in the years ahead. So I'd like to continue the conversation. So hopefully we can have you back on streaming income um, in the near future. Uh, in the meantime, for our listeners, I mentioned uh, the piece that Gareth wrote. So I'll point that to you again. If you go to bearings.com under the viewpoints section, uh, and navigate to high yield, you'll find a piece called ESG, Three Challenges High Yield Managers Are Tackling Today, uh, which covers similar ground to what we covered in our conversation today. Um, so Gareth, uh, this has been great, very enlightening for me. I uh, look forward to continuing to learn more um, on this subject and hopefully you know, bringing some of those insights to our listeners as well. So, so thanks for joining me today, Gareth. It's been great. Pleasure. And thank you very much for having me and speak soon. Thanks for listening to episode number nine of season four of Streaming Income. 
Remember to follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you are the first to hear about our latest episodes. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.